Greetings, soul sisters, spiritual brethren, and non-binary siblings. This is the Queer Ritual Podcast, a place to discuss healing, spiritual practices, guided meditations, and self-empowerment with a queer-minded focus. Allies are welcome, too. I'm your host, Ricky B. Malone. My pronouns are he, they. I'm a Reiki master, intuitive healer, and master esthetician based out of the East Coast of the U.S. My goal with this podcast is to empower others to discover their true selves and live the lives they truly want. So on the day that I'm recording this, it is my late mother's birthday. So I participate in a ritual on my mother's birthday, as well as the anniversary of her passing. I make ancestral offerings, which is going to be today's topic. So ancestral offerings is one of the most common spiritual practices, and it's shared among almost all cultures. I even recall recent examples in pop culture in the films Coco, Black Panther, Shang-Chi, and Turning Red. So probably the most celebrated day for ancestral offerings is the Chinese Ghost Festival. Uh, in Chinese, that's known as Yulanpen, which comes from the name in Sanskrit, Ulambana. There is also a Mahayana Sutra in Buddhism called the Ulambana Sutra, which goes over the concept of filial piety, if you want to look up that. Now, this holiday is also observed under many different names in Vietnam, Taiwan, Korea, Japan, Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, Cambodia, Laos, Sri Lanka, and Thailand. It's going to be celebrated between July and September, depending on the culture, because these holidays are usually based on a lunar calendar. Um, so Ulambana is the period when the Earth, Heaven, and Hell realms are the closest, which allows the hungry ghosts to partake in receiving food and drink here on Earth. Now, some other examples of uh holidays that correspond with ancestral offerings. Probably the most famous in the West is going to be Dia de los Muertos in Mexico, which is on November 1st. That's also uh, the starting point of the film Coco. And uh, in Europe, even in ancient Rome, they had the holiday Parentalia, which is on February 13th. And I believe that one is for nine days. Now, all, all of these holidays I'm bringing up, they are pretty much practiced the exact same way which shows just how profound this concept is. And also, by the way, this is not at all an exhaustive list of holidays for giving ancestral offerings. There are plenty of other examples I didn't mention. I don't know, you know, every single version of this holiday. Um, so, you know, the way this holiday is practiced is very simple. You know, I'm choosing to do it on my mother's birthday, um, but there are plenty of prescribed dates for this. Uh, but things that are going to be similar across all of them are obviously acknowledging your ancestors and expressing gratitude for them, for bringing you here on this earth in the present moment. Um, there could also be lighting of candles, lighting of incense. I know in China on certain holidays, they'll actually light fake paper money as a uh, financial offering towards one's ancestors. Um, as well as giving food and drink. You can also do this at the person's grave if they are buried, 
uh, leaving food, drink, or other things that they liked while they were on Earth at the grave. Um, I chose to do it at home today. Sometimes I actually go where I spread my mother's ashes, which is uh, by the river. And so I'll either leave my offerings on the grass by the river or literally throw it into the water as a nature offering, full well knowing the fish are going to eat it. Now, even if you don't believe in ghosts or the soul, it is still beneficial to acknowledge the contributions of all the people who came before you to bring you where you are today. You're here because you are the descendant of survivors. No matter who you are or where your ancestors come from, you are the descendant of survivors. You know, these people gave contributions that brought you here, even if you don't know who they are. So I will just add a little side note. Within Taoist philosophy, people who are adopted actually have four bloodlines of ancestors they draw their strengths from. That's going to be their adoptive maternal and paternal line, and then also their biological maternal and paternal line. So, you know, not knowing your ancestors, it isn't even necessarily a bad thing. And you can still practice ancestral offerings without knowing all of your ancestors. That is not a prerequisite towards expressing gratitude towards their contributions. Um, so let's just go over very quickly over my own shrine setup. Uh, my shrine is in my office. I record my podcast episodes in my office. And it has three levels. So the top level is my uh, Buddha statues and then also my Bodhisattva statues. And I also have an incense setup and a flower setup. Um, if I was going to do a water offering, this would also be done on this level, the level with the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. Then the second level, one level down from those statues, is my ancestral level. So I have photos up of... Uh, people in my family who have passed on. Now, within my culture, it specifically has to be only pictures of people who are deceased. You don't want to have any pictures of people who are still living on that level. Um, I have also heard some people put them on the same level as the Buddha. So that's totally normal, too. Um, and then on that second level, I also will do the food offering. So if I'm doing food offering dedicated to my ancestors, it's specifically on that level on the second level of my shrine. And then the third bottom level of my shrine, that's dedicated towards my pets who have passed on and then people in my family who are still living. So I have it under a three-level system. Now, you can totally have them on the same level. It's just uh, within Buddhism, it's generally seen as, as a more meritorious to put the Buddha on the highest possible level of that setup. Um, now, also within my culture, you have your shrine facing east so that you are facing west. Um, this ultimately does also come from Buddhism. It's specifically so that you're facing the direction from which Buddhism came. Because Buddha, Buddhism has always been on an eastward trajectory. It always moves east from India. So Buddhists will then face west to face where the Buddha came from. Obviously, you know, if you're not Buddhist, that that particular detail is arbitrary. Um, another thing that I would stress also is if you're going to have a home shrine, it should not be in your bedroom, specifically because you don't want to be fornicating in the room 
that your shrine is set up in. The two should be separate. You should never be having sexual relations in front of in front of your shrine. Um, you could, but it doesn't have to be in an office. You know, it can be in your dining room. It can be in your living room. You could have a room dedicated just to it. You could just have it in a hallway on a shelf. It doesn't really matter. The whole point is that you have a sacred space within your house, and then you also dedicate things in that space towards your ancestors. Some cultures also have a spirit house, which is going to be a structure outside the house that's made for offerings. It kind of looks like a birdhouse, but you dedicate your offerings in that outdoor space. Now, if you're not going to do it in a home shrine or if you are unable to have a home shrine, you know, let's say your family isn't particularly spiritual and you don't want them seeing it or whatever your reason is, um, you can also uh, make offerings as an offering to nature outdoors and just dedicate it to your ancestors. So that would generally be something that is vegetarian and edible by majority of species. So you want like cooked rice or leaving nuts out, or fruit, leaving some sort of milks out, it doesn't really matter. Whatever calls to you. Um, I would just also say generally ancestral offerings are not going to be meat. They're going to be something vegetarian. So my own personal ritual for ancestral offerings, uh, when I do it at home, I should say, uh, first I prostrate to my home shrine, which is bowing all the way down to the floor. I do that three times, then I will do some Buddhist chanting, and then I will present my offering above my head and then place it on the shrine. So I uh, will usually start with the candles or incense first, lift it above your head, light it, put it on the shrine, then I will pr proceed to the food offering, put it above my head, then place it on the shrine, etc. Et uh, you know, while I am lifting it above my head is when I am either vocalizing out loud or thinking in my head that I am don't dedicating this offering to my ancestors. It's very simple. Now, when I do it at the river, uh, I do also chant. I just usually will do the offering while I am chanting, whether that is leaving it on the ground or throwing it into the river. I have heard in other Buddhist cultures that do ancestral offerings that it's common for uh, rice, fruit, and water or tea to be the food offerings. And then also you can dedicate flowers, lighting a candle, or lighting incense as the, uh, the sweet smells are seen as something that pleases the, the spirits of your departed ancestors. Now, the fact that this is something that's so shared among so many cultures, I find that to mean that ancestral offerings are something really sacred and deep, that there's some sort of inner need within the human species to practice this. So, you know, no matter what culture you come from or what spiritual tradition you come from, it is something beneficial to practice some form of ancestral offering. If you wish to contact me directly or have your question featured in a future episode of the podcast, you can send me an email at tqrpodcast at gmail.com or find me on Instagram, tqrpodcast, or my personal Instagram, Ricky Dementia. That's R-I-K-I Dementia. Thank you for listening. With love and gratitude, signing off.